You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 169 and 170 of reading through the Bible in a year. But really, we're just talking through the Bible in a year. Where are we today? Our Old Testament reading for today is 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 7, verse 22. And we're just starting off today with two prostitutes. Which is very weird. <laughs> yes. Because there's not a lot of prostitution going on in the people of Israel. At least, there's not supposed to be. Yeah, so I was thinking about this story because we're coming right off of Solomon's prayer for wisdom. Right. And what's kind of understood is this is not a, a chronological chapter. It's a thematic chapter. Themes. So we're going, he prays for wisdom, and now let's give like a story of him being very wise. Right. In fact, the next, all the way through chapter 7, 22, really is one wise thing after the next. Yes. I think. Um, so... I'm thinking. So what's though, the deal with two prostitutes? So I'm thinking though this this probably happened later in his reign where he got a little lax with some of the really? requirements. I was just Lord. thinking it's kind of shows just the state of affairs. Like there is no centralized worship area. Things are all kind of mixed up. I mean, David has kind of secured the borders, but right. not necessarily. Well, unified everybody under the worship, the temple worship. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it ma- doesn't matter. I don't know if it matters. Yeah. Well, All I know is two prostitutes come into him, and which is all, like they approach him, and it's already like really confusing. Like, okay, horrible story. Yeah, someone smothers like... their baby and then switches out the other lady's baby. Yeah, it's just awful. Yeah, so, two women in the same house have babies on the same night. Or, like, t- days apart. You know what's worse than a he said, she said case? She said, she said? Yeah. A prostitute said, a prostitute said case. Those are the hardest, in my, in my experience. Those are the toughies. Because there's no one around, there's no witnesses. Right. And it's two women who, like, are broken and hurt. Yeah. They're already... The first one it's saying... An, it's an emotional wreck. She swapped out her dead baby for mine. And the other woman saying, no, no, this live baby's always been mine. And so Solomon is just finally, he's like, I'm going to cut to the chase. See what I did there? Yeah. Uh, is the kid's name Chase? Yes. <laughs> Let's cut the chase. Yes. He, give me a sword. I'm going to cut the baby in half. One, one lady will get one half. The other lady will get the other. Uh, Knowing. The second lady goes, oh, that works. Sweet. Right. Let's do it. The first lady's like, oh, what? No, so, no, no. Keep, keep, my, keep the child alive. Give it to the second lady. Right. It stinks when you're the first person. It's the first time you hear a riddle or something. You don't know. You know yeah. After that, you see it. Yes. And so most of us see this one coming. But it is pretty funny. The lady who definitely lost her child is grieving. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Says, yeah, cut the baby in half because if I can't have mine, no one should be able to have it. So then Solomon, this is the example of Solomon's great wisdom. I think it also tells us something else, though, about Solomon's... Oh, get some coffee. Coffee time. Um, Coffee time. That's pretty wise. The other thing it tells us, though, is, you know, I think two women, two prostitute women in almost even our culture, definitely in our culture, it'd be easy to dismiss and not care. 
I guess, okay, that's what was shocking to me, is that they were actually got an audience well, with he, the king. This got to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Which, again, I know in the time, women are treated uh, sub, you yeah. know, they're treated differently. But there Poorly. is a respect among the people of God where even this story is like, you know what, we care about justice for these two women who have been marginalized yeah. and used uh, by society. You so, know what? There it is. Thank you. There it is. So a lot of wisdom there, and that, that tells us some things about the culture going on. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes out as, because for the common people, they know. They hear that story. And, and they're, they're like, like, that whoa. We, that could have taken months to figure out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it just would have been dismissed as like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, that felt truly like he had justice. Then this sets up just kind of the run of Solomon's wisdom. Yes. Like he gets on a nice run here. And again, it's all thematic. So but it begins with his, um, his administration skills, mm-hmm. right? So he has these great, this great wisdom on who to hire, who to surround him, who to put in charge of other things, because this is a big operation. Now. And, and the structures. It is interesting. Like, it matters. When, administration when hit, matters. When we hit times of peace, yeah. there is high structure high administration, and a temptation for, like, slavery, well, <laughs> forced labor in here. But he's, he's pretty smart about it at the beginning. I mean, the wisdom, though, is we have peace with our neighbors. Now is the time to build. Mm-hmm. Now is the time. Yeah. To, we have treaties made with surrounding countries who will, we can barter, you know? And yes. so you're going to see him, first of all, put the right people in the right place. That takes wisdom mm-hmm. as a, a manager, and it's a godly thing. But then... He also has these deals with, um, with the surrounding countries. I mean, like, you know, he has a deal with Egypt. He married one of Pharaoh's daughter, yeah. which is questionable, but this is what kings do, and it's allowing him to build the temple of God. So he is deciding mm-hmm. to build the temple like my dad. It was a man of war. Mm-hmm. He had blood on him. Also, as long as David was around, there are always people who are a little bit upset with him, so it was, you couldn't really build this great thing without... Someone's going to attack you. Yeah, and you need peace because mm-hmm. you got, you're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. You're talking about the, th- the thing that all of Indiana Jones is about. Like, well, and you're also talking deal. about like trade routes and like yeah. all this stuff that can easily be raided. And if you don't right. have protection over all of this, it's going to be, you're going to be vulnerable. So does this where, when does he, um, okay. So before that, his, you got that administration going. Then they talk about his wealth and his wisdom mm-hmm. and about how, uh, two things for me on this. Yeah. He's filthy rich. Yes. And they talk about what he eats in a day, and I assume that's to feed all of his staff. And it's exactly what, mm-hmm. what, uh, what was his name? Saul, not Saul. Um, who was Samuel. It? Samuel said, like, this king is going to need fields. It's going to need people to serve him. It's going to need... I him. mean, his 12 administrators, yeah. each one is responsible for providing all the food for one month for one month it's pretty genius for for the for him yes and his family and, and his for attendance. his whole regime yeah yeah and so crazy it, it's crazy but it's also showing these are the golden days of israel yes like this is the pinnacle there's a united kingdom they're wealthy everything's in control mm-hmm. they have the land and their leader is wise in fact he's so wise that he's uh crafting over 3000 proverbs yes and um and songs, and so thousand, he's kind of like a thousand songs. I know a thousand songs. That's quite a catalog. That That's more catalog. than the Beatles. Um, but then, did you get verse thirty-three? He yes. spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of also of the beasts and the birds and reptiles and fish. He's quite a scientist. Yeah. So 
part of me likes to envision him like just giving TED talks to like the surrounding rulers who come in and listen to him. Yes. Talking, but also I think really though what was probably more accurate is he was studying birds and nature to get uh, proverbs and like examples right. like uh, from life. The other idea too, this is a throwback to. Uh, the one human at this point who was perfect, Adam. Yes. And the, one of the first things Adam did was to name and classify the species, all the yes. stuff. Like, so he's naming, yes. he's classifying, he's studying. And Solomon has the same kind of pre-fall Adamic wisdom. Yeah. And so he's really uh, classifying and doing, I mean, again, like you're just seeing the wisdom of God in a person mm-hmm. go to all these kind of un in my mind they're all very unsexy things like I don't want to do administration I don't want to do the sciences of classification but it's all necessary and it, it I think it shows great intelligence mm-hmm. I agree. so now he begins to build the temple and the first thing that has to happen Two is red. he has a vision for it he has the idea for it but he has to have the support resources of surrounding nations mm-hmm. right so. Luckily, he has Hiram, king of Tyre. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is where he's going to get all his lumber. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, the trade routes are open. Um, and uh, I guess there's a point, though, where God is talking to him about this, right? In yeah, so, uh, so Hiram is going to like float the, the trees, the cedar trees, down river to him or through the sea to him which is kind of awesome yeah uh and then this is where you get all the labor assignments yeah so he gets he's getting all the stuff because of his dad's earlier political relationships um and now he's beginning to build the temple and this is where we get 480 years from the time that they entered the land of canaan so it's been 480 years since joshua to Solomon, and now the temple is being constructed, and the Lord, uh, we get in chapter six some of the details of the of the construction, and then the Lord uh, speaks to him in verse twelve. Yeah. So this house that you're building, if you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, mm-hmm. which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. For the king, it's important to obey. Like, he is Mm -hmm. set apart to be the rep, representative. So he needs to obey and know the word of the Lord. And God, the whole idea, though, is God's presence. Mm -hmm. That's what's so cool about the New Testament and the Holy Spirit, that God's presence, like, it's such a big deal. Uh, I think also something that might be missed on us, because we don't are fully under connected with old religion and how things worked. Right. Um, God is also by saying, I'm choosing to dwell here and, and I can leave if you displease me. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of reminding Solomon that there isn't like a magic formula or this, what this, this temple is not a magic box that's going to contain me and keep me trapped in Jerusalem. Right. So you can manipulate me. I'm choosing to dwell here because I want to be with you guys, and I can leave at any time. Right. Exactly. Sorry, I had to turn away there. No worries. Well, um... So we get, like, all this great detail, and it's reminiscent, again, of the tabernacle, well, where there's what, a lot of nature in imagery. In, yeah. 
I mean, this is like part two. Yeah. So what? When he's giving the uh, tabernacle instructions to Moses, I think it's kind of assumed we don't get as much detail, at least not yet, about the the temple. Although mm-hmm. we get we get a good enough. No, it's nothing compared to the pages in Exodus right. or uh, right. of about of the tabernacle requirements. But we get it, and it's a huge place. Like it's like fifty feet tall. Mm-hmm. I don't know, one hundred twenty feet long or something. And, and like the whole inside is inlaid with wood, cedar. cedar, and so it must smell amazing I, in there. We have this hope chest that someone made for us, and it has cedar planks on the inside. Oh, and twenty years later, we got it for our like we were married, we got it, and it's twenty years later, it still smells amazing. So yeah. I'm thinking this place, but then everything's carved. It smells amazing, but it's carved with flowers and gourds. It's all pomegranates, at angels. One, at the end, it's uh, angels, it's lilies, it's uh, palm trees, palm trees. And so it's all Garden of Eden. Yeah. So for the ancient mind, the pre-Christ mind, Mm -hmm. the fact that God would restore his presence in a place that looks like the Garden of Eden, it's all about who is the seed of the woman who will get us back into this garden world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, that's the expectation. And at this point, it's like, oh, it was David, and now it's Solomon. And I think the people see it as very... It's much more organic, like, oh, it's going to happen. You're going to bring it in, which sets us up years later. I don't know how many years later, a thousand years later for Christ, mm-hmm. where um, he's the one. Yeah. So they take a break from the structure of the temple. They do note that it took seven years to, right. build, to build it. But then they switch over to Solomon's palace and yeah. the, the buildings for his organizations. And all of them are a lot larger than the temple. And they took like 11 years. Yeah. Like they took almost twice as long. I thought it was 13 years. Oh, maybe it was 13. Um, I, I remember it being about twice as long. Yeah. And so, again, we're starting to see like little glimpses of maybe things aren't as great as we would like them to be. Yeah. Uh, well, it's starting to shift. I think his priorities mm-hmm. after, you know, do anything for seven years. And then um, it, uh, just over the years of success, I mean, I deal, I'm dealing with this now, like trying to figure out, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. Do you just get more and more comfortable and mm-hmm. dig in to where you are? Or do you have to now go, Remember, remember the great faith it took to get us here and all the things we had to do? And that was fun. And there was something good about it. Well, now it's like this, there's a cycle mm. to life. And even um, history is cyclical, right? So yes. even this is kind of a redoing of when they came out of the Exodus mm-hmm. into the land. Like an ex- now they're in the land and now they're building a permanent place, not a tent. So things have changed a little bit. Right. But history is repeating itself because it wants us to listen. And so uh, you see Solomon starting to slip, I think. Uh, yeah, so then we jump back into, okay, now here's the furnishings. This is the things that went right. inside the temple. Uh, so he gets, so he got all the um, the cedar from Tyre, Ty- Tyre, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so now he gets, he gets a uh, craftsman from there who's also half an Israelite. He's from, his mother was from the tribe of Naphtali. And so he is somewhat connected to Israel. He comes in and he makes everything 
that is going to go inside right. and furnish the beautiful temple. Beautiful stuff. And it's all beautiful stuff. And again, it's all garden-themed and angelic. And I think in the last couple of years for us, um, reading through these things, you realize where you worship, you know, you try to make it as nice as you can. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. It's, the stuff is supposed to connect you to um, spiritual realities. Yeah. You know? And so as much as it can, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But the good news in the story right now is uh, we are at the pinnacle. Finally, things are really at peace for Israel for the first time, really, ever. Yes. They're united. Yeah. Everything's good. They're building the temple. God's going to have a stationary place that will be protected and honored. And uh, this is where we end. It's going to be beautiful. All right. That's that's good for today, right? Yeah. Our New Testament reading for today is Acts chapter 12, verse 19 through chapter 13, verse 41. So last episode, we left off with Peter's miraculous escape from prison. And... Then, Herod, right? And then him having to sneak out <laughs> and go go into hiding for a little bit. And Herod is not happy, kills all the guards. And so now we continue with the story of Herod. Yeah, and talk about history. Uh, interesting, Herod is angry with the people of Tyre. Whoa, Tyre. Yeah. Oh, Tyre, sit on the sit on in. Oh, this... That's so crazy. So crazy. We were just talking about those guys. So these are the guys who gave Solomon lumber. Yes. And so uh, if you recall, in chapter 11, I believe, we had a man prophesy about a famine that was going to be across the land. And so um, this is in reference to the famine. And so Tyre and Sidon are island cities, and they rely on... um, uh, Judea for food hmm. um, and trade. And so they're, so Herod, we don't know why, he's angry with them, but they're, they're like scared. Like they need, they need Herod and they need his support to support their island in this famine. Right. And so they persuade his uh, chamberlain for peace. And so Herod is like, okay, fine, I will go and speak to you, and I will give this great oration, and I will show my mercy to the people, and he goes out there and gives this great speech, and everyone begins to shout, that's the voice of a god, not a man, and he receives it, and he's like, you're right. Which is interesting, because Peter was saying to Cornelius a chapter or two ago, Mm -hmm. stand up, I'm just a man, and if anybody could say... I speak with the voice of God. It's him, but he's smart enough to go, no. And then you got this same angel. Like with David, there was an angel of death striking people. Mm -hmm. In the Exodus, there's an angel of death. Now an angel strikes down this guy, like true blasphemy, right? Mm -hmm. Like claiming to be God. I'm starting to believe in angels. Oh, good. Yeah, starting to come around. Uh, So, yeah, we have... He was eaten eaten by worms. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I read. I remember reading something about that, and it's funny. He had, like, intestinal worms. Yeah, it's like some digestive tract thing. Mm -hmm. um, Because they always refer to Josephus, written 100 years, 200 years after this, or around the time. Josephus is around the time, so 80, 70. And so, yeah, it's funny. 
But anyway, there's Herod again, always and, involved. But it is interesting. So they kind of, I think it is kind of cool to see like the literary themes here and like the reasons why things are where they are. And so it's, here's a man who's trying to uh, play off as he has the words of God, but right. he doesn't. And, but the real word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem or to Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Right. So, yeah, so the, the first... Potentially I mean, the, gospel, the gospel writer of Mark. Right. So the, the, um, the missionary travels have begun in mm-hmm. small way. They're going to they're gonna spark here. But the theme I've, I'm seeing is um, this thing with Herod. It, it does work to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to see the similar things go out where uh, evil men are going, like there's going to be miraculous kind of deaths or blindnesses or things happening mm-hmm. for the purposes of people going, whoa, this is real. Yes. All right. So chapter 13, right? Yeah. So we have um, the church at Antioch, which is now like a nice central hub for Christianity. Yeah. Uh, we have... Where is a bunch of Antioch? Le- Antioch is north. It's a Greek city. It's where it's traditionally the birthplace of Luke, the but, gospel writer Luke. But is Antioch like... Um, and the author of Acts. So I'm trying to look at a map, right? So where is Antioch? Is it near the Jordan River? Is it north? It's north where of Jerusalem? It is way north. It so is. way north. It's past Syria all the way up into almost... Almost uh, Tarsus is even more north here. Look, because see, I got it right here. Sidon and Tyre are way north too. Yeah, no, it's. Oh wow! It's way way north. We're getting. I mean, we're it's, getting it's up. off. Literally, it's off the map of your New Testament map. Yeah, in your yeah, Bible. yeah. It, it's going up towards. So that is a huge shift. Greece and Italy. Yeah, it's going towards the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Like you figure, Egypt goes south, and then this Antioch being yeah, up so north Antioch is, being a, big a central hub is a big deal. Because uh, it's it's way north, but remember Saul is from Tarsus, so that's so which is even more north from Antioch. It's all Greek. It's becoming mm-hmm. Greek, right? Yes. So, so it really is spanning. So from Antioch to Jerusalem is all of, really all the tribes land all the way to Judah. What's oh. below the tribe of Judah's land? Is there anything? Um, so it, the desert, <laughs> right? Then in Egypt, and so kind of Egypt. The yeah. fact that Antioch becomes the Christian center. And they're still helping the people. I mean, that's almost be 100 miles. Yeah. That's got to be like 100 miles at least. Mm-hmm. So when they're traveling from Antioch to, to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I mean, it's a 100-mile walk through Samaria, like through all what was Samaria, uh, Samaria. Like the gospel is really changing the landscape of this whole area. I don't know. You have to, you have to take that. It's a big... Yeah. I'm, I'm realizing, looking at a map, this is a big deal. So yeah. when it just says, oh, they're at Antioch, I always figured it was like, like uh, half a mile away from Jerusalem. No. But this is major. No, this is like almost 200 miles from Jerusalem. 200 miles. So that's like walking. Yeah, it's nuts. From here to Gainesville. So they have a, they're having like a, a big meeting um, and worshiping the Lord in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit, so they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Right. And says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they fast and pray some more just to confirm what the the Holy Spirit has said and lay their hands on Barnabas and Saul and send them off. 
so the missionary journey really begins with Holy Spirit equipping and calling and then people mm-hmm. setting apart by laying on of hands, praying for the purpose of teaching and spreading the good news. Yes. Perfect. Yes. So this begins sweet Saul and uh, sweet Barnabas, mm-hmm. and they go to Cyprus. Yes, which I think is even more north. More north. So the gospel is really, it's, they're really out of their Hebrew roots here. Yes, they, they are. I mean, the good thing is because of the dispersion of Israel through the two major, um, when they were exiled, yes. there are little like synagogues yes, throughout everywhere. all these places. Yeah. So it really is like a game of telephone. Like, we have to go tell these other synagogues about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, because uh, they should be ready for it. This is what's so shocking. Like, they, they, the synagogues should be ready and waiting for this message. They, yes, they should be. So when they had gone but through, yeah, they go through, they run into a false prophet, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, also known as Elimas. Elimas. He's a magician. And mm-hmm. he is opposed to them and basically trying to lie. And then Saul just looks him in the face. This is the first yeah. time we see Saul, Benjamite, the yeah. ravenous wolf. He's not going to back down. This is what I call the Vader syndrome. The Vader. So it's when your feared enemy all of a sudden turns and now he works for you. Yeah. And you feel like, oh, we can conquer the world now. Yeah, like we got it. This is, this is Saul turning from killing Christians to I'm going to be the ravenous wolf for the Christians. And th- this explains, too, some of Paul. I know p- some people don't like Paul, but I know why they don't like him. Um, because he seems harsh. But remember, he is talking to the people whose side he was on. Yeah. So the authority and like the cut to the chastedness of his speech <laughs> is... Word is really motivated by his love. And like, I rep, I represented you people. I was the up and coming Supreme Court justice, president, mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. leader of the theology of you people. So listen to me. And so he looks at this guy filled with the Holy Spirit and he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, <laughs> full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the, the uh, straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. You know what I think? The Holy Spirit is on him, so he's saying these things. But I think, why would he say be blind? But you know, the Holy Spirit often uses the things that have been said or done to us. He intertwines like yes. physical and spiritual. Yes. So like, why did you say that? Well, someone was nice to me once, so I said yeah. it to you, but it was the Holy Spirit. What was it? You or the Holy Spirit? Yes. And I think Paul goes in his mind, you know what? God blinded me for a time, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> I think you need to be blind for a little bit. Be blind. And then it, it happens. I totally agree with this. Then, um, and, and he went about seeking people said. to lead him by the hand. So I think he's actually caring for this guy, but he's like, you're wicked, dude. Mm. But I'm going to do what Jesus in his grace did to me. He blinded me. He confronted me. And I was saved. Um, and so he does it to this guy. But when you first read it, you're like, who is this Saul guy? Like, yeah. What? Whoa. Where he just does cursed he, this guy. Where does he get off? Yeah. But he knows. He knows what's going on in these synagogues. Mm-hmm. He knows the good and he knows the bad. So I think he'd be mad at this guy even if he was still a Jew. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So he, he ends up blinding this guy. And uh, the pro-council, the leader, the Roman leader of this place is like, whoa, this is real. Right. So the, I'm in. Yeah. So the people are like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So then... So then, uh, where are, do they move on or is it, 
they set sail for Paphos. So people kind of see this and they like it. So I think the misconception for me too is that all the Jewish communities were against Paul. But in reality, there were many who received... I mean, this is the, yeah. begin, the beginning of Christianity is built on the Jewish people. Yeah, it's no, built on no, the Jewish yeah, conversion. Totally. I mean, that's why it frustrates me that it's like Christianity is so separated from the Jewish people. Yes. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so they're hitting. Um, this is. I've been sorry. I've been yeah. rapidly looking for a I, map this I know, whole time. I know. Um, <clears throat> so if you heard a bunch of shuffling of pages, forgive me. Uh, so Paphos, Pretend Cyprus, all of those places. These, these are islands. So they're like boating around to different like little islands in um, the Mediterranean. Because sea. who else is going to get the message out to them that right. Jesus did good works? He was yes. died and he raised from. So the they're world. hitting like coastal. Cities and islands, and again, boat is kind of the fastest way to travel at Makes this sense. at and, this point, and pretty kind of safe, I guess. Uh, so they're going around, and every time they enter a city, uh, Paul and Barnabas they go to a synagogue first, right, and preach the the good news in the synagogue first. Because who in any city who would be the the place most ready to hear about Jesus? Right. The synagogue. The synagogue. The ones who have been supposedly are supposed to prepare the way for this. Right. Well, and that's when um, men of he, basically he's in a synagogue and they recognize <laughs> these guys yes. and they say, they go, uh, "Do you have any word of encouragement for the people? Say it." And Paul, of course, is, stands up. And in my mind, I think, um, yeah, do the bit. The bit is Barnabas is so sweet. he's the son of encouragement, right? Right. And then you have. Paul, the ravenous, zealous wolf. And Paul, like, immediately stands up, and Barnabas is, like, tugging on his, like, cloak, like, hey, not now. Maybe, maybe just slow down a little. Slow down. <laughs> and Paul just looks at, this is my imagination. Paul looks at Barnabas, like, just looks at him and stands up, and while looking at Barnabas, he's like, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And then he looks to that man, and Barnabas is putting his face in his palms, like, oh, no. Oh, no. What is Paul going to do? What is Saul going to do? And then he, Saul gives like an amazing kind of... Quick r- summation. Yeah, of, of the whole story. Of the whole story. That's what I love about the book of Acts this time around, is like I'm seeing the, the different angles and perspectives of the story. Yeah, and they're always connecting the Old Testament to what's happening, uh, to yes. Jesus. I mean... It's always, it's so connected for them. And I think we like to disconnect them. But, man, these early Christians, they were so connected. If you can't connect Jesus to the Old Testament, you just haven't read the the book of Acts. You haven't read even the book of Acts. Because um, he goes on to say, he goes all the way back to Egypt. He gives years. (laughs) He says, after destroying seven nations of the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. He goes all the way through the Exodus. He goes through the Judges. He goes up through King David. And then he goes, he connects David to uh, John the Baptist. And I didn't realize that Paul here quotes, as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Mm -hmm. Like Paul quotes John saying, he's not the one, but he came to proclaim the one. Mm -hmm. He's tying all this. Then he immediately goes, ties John back to the family of Abraham, Mm -hmm. goes back, he then connects what we do in the synagogue. Every Sabbath we read. And um, yeah. I mean, essentially he says they found him, and then he tells about Jesus. They, they, he basically gives the whole thing of Jesus and says, 
Like, this is who we were waiting for. Right. What is it? Verse 32 is the one I liked, where I just feel the passion from Paul. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to his people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And then he quotes more scripture showing how Jesus will not die like David, Mm -hmm. that he is... But I just feel... uh, I can feel the passion and the, you guys, this is it. We bring you good news. This is the promise of God fulfilled. The, what is the promise? The promise is to get back into the garden in the presence of God mm-hmm. without death. And it has been brought to us by the prophet, the priest, the king, who has done nothing but good works, was sacrificed, mm. but rose from the dead, appeared to us, and is the fulfillment of the promise of God, and now invites you to, by believing, you are forgiven and restored, and you have all the benefits of, of being a member of the king's cabinet. You, you really did, did a good job tying it up there. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Barnabas. So <clears throat> Barnabas, though, slowly lifts his head up. He's like, that was good, dude. You are good. You are good, Saul. <laughs> wow. And then um, we end, though, unfortunately, on um, 41. 41. But... But Paul, though, knows, he knows his audience, and he speaks as one of them at times, and that's why he's like... Because he is, he is a Jew from the, from the north. Like, and, and not only is he the champion for the gospel now, he was the champion against the gospel mm-hmm. a couple years ago. So he's like, but beware. And he quotes, you guys are the scoffers. You guys are the ones who uh, will not believe even if one tells it to you. He takes a deep cut from Habakkuk. Like only Saul could Deep weave, cuts. he weaves in, like he just drops a Habakkuk as if that's on the tip of his tongue. <laughs> like this guy's so enmeshed in the Old Testament and he's so excited about how Jesus is the fulfillment of it that he just drops a Habakkuk line mm-hmm. as if you all know this, right? Yeah. And they all are familiar enough with it. Like, yeah, we have had, historically we've had a problem receiving good news or receiving news from prophets. Yes. <laughs> good good point. Good point. So, Touche. And so Paul is showing that history is repeating itself, but now we have no one's listening. Let's listen. Yes. It's time to listen. And, uh, but I think you can appreciate Saul when you realize his passion. You know, when you were something, you work somewhere, and now you go back, you're like, oh, I remember every time I've ever gone back somewhere. Like I remember we did a mission trip to kind of a coffee trip to Guatemala. And then oh. I went back the next time. Mm-hmm. And the whole time my next time, I'm like, last time we were here? Oh, here's, here's what he does. Oh, Samuel, he's great. Let me tell you. And it was obnoxious. Like last mm-hmm. time, it can feel obnoxious. But it's not. It's like excited and mm-hmm. passionate. And I think Saul is like, you guys, listen. Don't be idiots. I was like you. Mm-hmm. I agree. And a lot of people get saved because of it. They do listen to him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people hate him for it. Oh, yeah. It's judgment or salvation. The gospel, though, is spreading, and it's spreading quickly over um, years. Mm -hmm. It takes years, but it's happening. Today I'm going to read Psalm 75. Wow. Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keeps it steady, its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. 
Do not lift your, up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. For not from the west or from the east, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll see you next time.